Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. All right, so First Peter, we're about to, next few weeks, we'll be landing the, the plane here. And so Peter is starting to wrap up his thoughts around being elect exiles. To be elect is to be chosen, to be selected, to be picked out. And there's some things that we can expect as the elect. We can expect to receive a new birth into a living hope. We can expect to receive an inheritance that does not perish or spoil or fade. And there are also some things that we can expect as exiles. As exiles, we're foreigners or strangers in our own community. And Peter says very explicitly, you can expect to suffer because of that. Now, in 1 Peter, suffering has a very narrow definition some people suffer from chronic illness. That's not what Peter's talking about. Some people suffer because of uh, poverty. That's not what Peter's talking about. What he's talking about is suffering as a result of persecution. So he's talking to this small group of believers who have shifted their allegiance from the Roman gods to Jesus. And then there's been a corresponding change in their lifestyle. There's certain things that they're not doing and certain things that they are doing. And that shift in allegiance and lifestyle has brought pressure upon them. It's brought pressure from the government. It's brought pressure from their masters. It's brought pressure from unbelieving husbands. It's brought pressure from neighbors. They're, all, they're, they're facing resistance and persecution, which at this point, mostly the, the persecution is verbal, but there are some sporadic instances of physical persecution that will increase in the years to come. That's, that's what they're experiencing and, and when Peter's talking about suffering, that's what, that's what he means. Again, it's a, it's a narrow scope there. And so uh, as we close, begin to close this book, this is the last explicit suffering passage, and Peter will be talking, uh, providing some context for this overall understanding of suffering as a follower of Jesus. So starting in verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? For those who don't obey the gospel of God. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There's three commands and we're going to kind of weave through all three of those. The first command is don't be surprised. It's a negative. Don't be surprised at the suffering that you're experiencing. It's, it's not unusual. It's not strange. Second command is rejoice in as much or to the degree that you're participating in the sufferings of Jesus. And the last command is commit yourself to the, to your, to the faithful creator and continue to do good. So those are the, those three commands. Don't be surprised. Rejoice. Commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. So the first thing Peter says is this, is this is not news. These guys, again, first generation Christians, there's nobody they can look to and say, is this the way it's supposed to be? And Peter's saying, yes, this is, this is not 
shocking. This is not unusual. You're not doing anything wrong. God's not unhappy with you. The suffering, the persecution that you're experiencing, that's just part of the deal of following him. Again, you've shifted allegiances. You're now out of step with your neighbors, with your community, with your society. You're following a different God who has a different set of values and their corresponding practices associated with those values. You're not living the way that you used to. And yes, that can cause friction and that can cause others to, in his words, heap abuse on you. That's what he says in chapter four. Your neighbors are heaping abuse on you because you're no longer participating in the things that you used to do. Again, that's, that's not news to anyone. So don't be surprised. And then he reframes their suffering in a, in, it's, it's positive. Uh, it's still difficult, but it's a positive way of seeing it. He says, your suffering is a fiery ordeal. That's refiner's language. So if you're refining silver or gold, you take the ore and you heat it up really hot and it causes the impurities to rise to the surface so then you can, you can scrape them off. And Peter is saying that's what your persecution and suffering is. The, the, the suffering is the heat. And it's causing the impurities in your faith to rise to the surface. You can see what's actually in your heart. We talk about that all the time. What comes out of you when you're squeezed? And Peter's saying that the heat of this persecution, it's causing the, the, the flesh patterns in you to rise to the surface. The places where sin still uh, has a grip on you to rise to the surface. The places of, of immaturity to rise to the surface. That's something God is using. It's a test. That word in the Bible, it's, it's an opportunity to see the quality and the genuineness of your faith. So this, this refining that's under, that, that you're undergoing, it's actually for your good because you can see what's going on in here. A lot of times we don't know. We don't know what's actually happening in our hearts. And this, this test, it gives us a chance to see it. So Peter's saying this is actually something God can use for your good. Yes, it's difficult, but it can still be used by God for your good. It's, it's the refining of your character. It's making you more like Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to see the places where God is currently at work and to celebrate those in the places where maybe there's some more growth to do and to commit to doing that. So don't be surprised at the refining that's happening in your heart. This is, what it, this is part of the deal of following Jesus, but instead rejoice. To rejoice is to be in a state of gladness or happiness or well-being. There's an emotional component to rejoicing and there's a behavioral component. We're never commanded how to feel in the Bible, but we are commanded how to act. And so when we're told to rejoice always, that doesn't mean always be happy. It means to, to, to move into this state of happiness and gladness and well-being. And so even if you don't have the emotions behind it, you can move in that direction. How do we do that? How do we rejoice? We'll talk about that in a second. Peter says to them, I want you to rejoice what kind of whatever is going on as long as what's going on is, is participating in the suffering of Jesus in as much, or your Bible may say to the degree that. So Jesus suffered in obedience to the Father. Suffering was a byproduct. He didn't pursue suffering for its own sake. He was pursuing obedience, and as a consequence or a byproduct of his obedience, he experienced suffering, particularly the last week of his life. And his suffering is unique. His suffering was salvific. It brings us to the Father. Our suffering is not. It's not in that same category as the suffering of Jesus. He's the only one whose suffering is for the sake of others in that sense of bringing them to the Father. 
but we can still identify with his sufferings or Peter says participate, share in his sufferings if we're suffering for the same reasons. So if we're suffering as a byproduct of obedience to, fa- to the Father, well, then we're participating with the sufferings of Jesus because that's what he did. We're following in his footsteps. We're sharing broadly in his sufferings because we also were being persecuted as a byproduct or a consequence of our allegiance, loyalty, and love for the Father, just like Jesus did. So that suffering that we experience now, if we're rejoicing in it, that actually prepares us for Jesus' return when he's going to reward the righteous. We'll be overjoyed. So you rejoice now, and when Jesus returns, you're more than rejoicing. You're overjoyed. He's, he's coming back to reward the righteous. First Peter 6 and 7 talks about trials. That's the same word as test. Right now, you're experiencing trials of various kinds. Don't, don't get upset about that. They're showing the genuineness of your faith. And when Jesus returns, you're going to receive praise and glory and honor. We don't know what those things are, but we know that they're good. So our identifying with Jesus now in suffering prepares us for his return. We can rejoice now. We'll be overjoyed then because of our allegiance to him. And again, the question then becomes, well, how do I do that? How do I maintain or move into a state of gladness or happiness or well-being when my neighbors are heaping abuse on me, when my husband is not treating me well, when my master is not treating me well, when the government is pressing down on me? How am I supposed to maintain that place of joy? And Peter gives two examples for this. He says, if you're insulted, which is a really strong word, if you're reviled or reproached or if abuse is heaped on you because of Jesus, well, you're actually blessed. To be blessed is to be a special recipient uh, or a privileged recipient of divine favor. That's, he, he's, he's paraphrasing a beatitude, Matthew 5, 11, and 12, where Jesus says, blessed are you if people persecute you or say bad things about you because you're connected to me, great is your reward in heaven. Peter is that he heard that firsthand, and he's relaying that to these guys. Outwardly, things look bad for you. Maybe you're being ostracized from your neighborhood. Maybe your family is no longer talking to you, or they're not, they're not treating you well. Maybe you're having a difficult time at work because of your relationship with Jesus. So outwardly, it looks like you're you're being pushed aside or forgotten or stepped over. Actually, you're a privileged recipient of God's favor. That's actually where you are. That's actually what's going on because the Holy Spirit lives within you. That's the spirit of glory and of God. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. That's evidence of your connection to Jesus. Another example, he says, there's, if you're suffering for doing evil, that's what he talks about in 1 Peter 3, and then he lists some things. If you're suffering for being a murderer or a thief or a criminal or a meddler, that's kind of on you. You're reaping what you sow there. There's no reward for that. That word meddler, just a little bit of a tangent, it, it, it's a busybody or someone who sticks their nose in other people's business. It, it doesn't seem to fit in the category murderer, thief, criminal, and then meddler. Why that one? And it, I think Peter's probably setting them up. He's saying, you shouldn't suffer as a thief. And they're like, yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't suffer as a murderer. Yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't suffer as a criminal. No way. Well, you shouldn't suffer as a meddler. And they're probably going, whoa, that's, I am a meddler. If you think about living in a small community, 
which of those sins is most likely. It's sticking your nose in where it doesn't belong. And that's probably what he's talking about there. But it's the same thing. It's reaping what you sow. There's no reward for that. But if you suffer for being a Christian, well, that's different. And there's no shame in that. If you're suffering because of your identification with Jesus, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You actually can praise God because you bear his name. We see that in Acts. When the disciples are, are persecuted because of their connection to Jesus by the Jewish leaders, they, they rejoice and say, I can't believe that we were counted worthy to suffer for his name. We don't really think that way. But there's this identification with him that is its own reward in addition to preparing us for his return. So kind of wrapping that, what Peter is saying is, don't be surprised you're going to suffer. The suffering that you experience can be used by God for your good. It can reveal what's actually going on in your heart. Instead of being surprised, I want you to rejoice. I want you to maintain this posture of gladness and happiness and well-being, even when your circumstances are bad, in so far as the suffering you're experiencing is connected to your loyalty to Jesus. If you're suffering because you're making bad choices, that's, that's different. That's not what we're talking about. If you're suffering for doing good, for doing right, that's what he says in chapter 3, well, then, then you're preparing yourself for Jesus' return. And then here are two specific examples. If you're being insulted or if you're, be, if you're suffering for being a Christian, then you can take joy even in that because that's evidence of the fact that you're identifying with Jesus. And again, he's going to reward the righteous. And then he circles back to verse 13. Rejoice in so far as or in as much as or to the degree that you're participating in the sufferings of Jesus because then you'll be overjoyed when he returns for it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. Rejoice because it's time for judgment to begin. We don't usually hold those two words together. For us, judgment tends to produce anxiety, not joy. What is he talking about? It's an Old Testament idea that when God judged the world, he would begin with his own people. You can see that in Ezekiel 9 and Malachi chapter 3. Peter's picking up on that and applying it to his congregations now, and we can apply it to us in our context as well. It's that same refining idea. It's the same idea of, of refiner's fire and testing that Peter mentioned in verse 12. When he says it's time for judgment to begin with the people of God, he's talking about capital K, final judgment, beginning right now. It's, it's May. Many of you have students. All of you have been students. May, you get your final report card. In February, March, you got a progress report. Many of you get end-of-the-year reviews by your supervisor. For, for some of you, May, June, you get a mid-year review. I think when Paul, excuse me, when Peter is talking about judgment beginning, he's talking about the progress report or the mid-year review. It's, it's true and it's meaningful and we need to take it seriously, but it's not final. Those of you that got progress reports in March, if you liked what you had, just keep doing that and you're probably going to be okay when your final grade comes out. If you didn't, you still had time. There's still assignments. There's still tests. There was opportunity to get your grade up. Those of you who are getting reviewed mid-year, you're probably going to be a bit nervous when you go into that, which is understandable. They're going to tell you, hey, here, here's how you're doing relative to the goals that we set. Here's how you're doing. You're on target or you're not on target. And if you're not on target, it stings a little bit, but you've got time. You still have six more months to hit your marks before the end of the year. 
It's time for judgment to, to begin with the house of God. I think what Peter is saying is this suffering that you're experiencing, it's a refining fire. There's, there's real heat there. It's bringing impurities in your heart to the surface. And all of that's a test. It's an opportunity for you to see what's actually going on in my heart. Where are the places where I'm being conformed into the image of Jesus and where are the places where maybe I'm resisting that or, or, or where I'm still operating more in my flesh than in the, than in the spirit. That, that's, the judgment is beginning. God is showing us. He's giving us a glimpse of our own hearts, which is a good thing. Again, it can be when, when you've got that review or you, you get the progress report, there can still be a little lump in your throat. But it's not final. You still have opportunity. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about building. He says, when, when it comes to your life, you're either building with gold, silver, and costly stones, or you're building with wood, hay, and stubble. Everything that we build has to go through the fire. If, it's, if we've built with wood, excuse me, with, with gold and silver and costly stones, the fire just refines it, makes it better. If we're building with wood, hay, and stubble, the fire consumes it and there's nothing left. Not talking about salvation, Revelation 20, we're all gonna stand before Jesus and there's a book for every one of us. Nora's got a book and Miller's got a book and those books are gonna be open. They're both believers and so any, their sins, they're not in the book. That's what it means to be forgiven. They've been delivered from the wrath of God, his righteous anger towards sin. So none of the sinful actions that they have or will commit, that's not in there. It's all been expunged. That's what it means to be forgiven. But the things that they do with their life, they're both young. Freshman, high school, sophomore in college, right? Something like that. They're still young. And so most of their life is in front of them and they're gonna be building. And, and, there's, and God, at, at some point, when they stand before him, is gonna say, what'd you do with what I gave you? Kind of the parable of the talents type deal. Again, none of their sins are in the book. This is not about their salvation. They're saved because of their faith in Jesus, not because they did good stuff. But then Jesus is gonna say, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you make, what did you do with the opportunities? What did you do with the gifts? If they're building with wood and stubble and hay, they're still gonna be saved according to 1 Corinthians 3, but everything that they've done in their life, it'll just burn. It says they're saved as one passing through the fire. If they use gold, silver, and costly stones, then there's, there's reward there. Those things will pass through the fire and come out on the other side, even more refined. So this whole idea of judgment beginning, it gives us a chance to see where we stand. Not relative to salvation, that's secured. But when it comes to the, the New Testament calls it a judgment according to works. What have we done with what God has given us? And so these, these tests, these progress reports, these mid-year reviews, they can be intimidating at times. They certainly can feel difficult, but they can also be something that we can embrace to say, okay, Holy Spirit, where am I growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? Not relative to somebody else, but relative to Jesus. Is there more patience in my life? Am I exhibiting more patience now than I did in 22 and in 21 and then in 20 and 19? Am I growing where does my flesh still drive me? Where do my immaturities continue to trip me up? It's a progress report. It's a mid-year review. For those that are not following Jesus, that final judgment's gonna be horrible. All of those things that have been forgiven in these two books, if you're not following Jesus, they're all still written down, and you gotta answer for those. It's terrible. 
And the result of that is eternal separation from a father who loves you. As difficult as sometimes it is for us to see where we are, it's even worse to not know. You want to show up, your final review, December 15th, and the guy says, you didn't make it, you're out? Wouldn't you rather him tell you now? It can be a gift to us. The final command, if you're suffering according to the will of God, what does that mean? God wants me to suffer. He doesn't delight in our difficulty. If you're suffering according to the will of God, that's according to the way Jesus suffered. He suffered according to the will of God. He was obedient to the Father and a byproduct was suffering. That's absolutely within the will of God. If we experience suffering from people that don't know him, suffering from a world that does not know him, if we're being persecuted because of our obedience to him, absolutely, that is for the will of God. And you don't need to wonder, am I doing something wrong? Does he not love me? Does he not see me? Am I missing it somehow? Nope. So if you're suffering for the same reasons Jesus is, a byproduct of your obedience, well then commit yourself to the Father. To commit is to entrust yourself with the idea, with the confidence that God can protect you. That's why Peter doesn't say to your father, which is maybe what we think he would say, but to your faithful creator. He's faithful, he's trustworthy, and he's your creator. He's powerful and strong. That's that creator has that feel to it. Commit yourself, entrust yourself to your faithful, powerful creator who can preserve you and protect you through those difficulties and keep doing what you're doing. Don't quit. Continue to do good. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep following Jesus. Continue to be loyal and faithful to him. And then kind of the consequences are what they are. For us, we've said we don't necessarily experience much suffering tied to persecution where we live in the Bible Belt. Maybe more and more that is becoming the case. As we're following Jesus and not following the gods of our community, particularly something like money, mammon, capital M, there's going to be a disconnect maybe between the choices that we would make in the life that we live and the choices others would make in the life that they live. And maybe at some point that does lead to some level of, of persecution for us. Maybe you get, you get left out of certain things. You're not invited certain places. That, that could totally be the case. And I don't want to d- dismiss that at all. I, wanted, I did want to step back and maybe think about testing in a bit broader category that might hit us a bit more directly. Testing is a theme that goes at least back to Genesis 22, and it's the most iconic testing in the Bible. Genesis 22.1, God tested Abraham. That's what it says. It's explicit. God tested Abraham. Abraham awaited 25 years for a son. He has this son, Isaac. He's the child of promise, and God says, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And so Isaac, in, or excuse me, Abraham in obedience takes Isaac up on a mountain with some fire and a knife and some wood and makes an altar and wraps binds Isaac to that altar and picks up the knife to sacrifice him. And the angel of the Lord says, don't do it. Now I know, that's so interesting, an omniscient God. Now I know that you fear the Lord. You have deep respect, profound reverence for the Lord. It's a test that God set up. He does the same thing with the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember the manna, that bread that just was on the, in the grass when they woke up? They could gather it for six days. They didn't gather it on the Sabbath day. That was a day of rest. So you gathered enough for each day, but on Friday you gathered enough for two days because there wouldn't be any on Saturday. And in both Deuteronomy and in Exodus, God says that the manna is a test. You can imagine 
how difficult that might be. I'm going to trust that every day there's going to be this stuff appearing on the ground that I can eat. If not, there's nothing for me to eat. We're in the wilderness. We're not farming anything. If we don't, there's nothing there. There's nothing for us to eat if if this stuff doesn't appear. And to to trust God every day of every week of every month for 40 years, God has set that up. He wants to know, let's see the quality of your faith, Abraham. Let's see the quality of your faith, Israel. And he still does those same things to us. There are times where he will explicitly ask you to do something that's difficult, to test your faith, to to see. Let's see the quality. Let's see the depth. Let's see the areas where, where, where you're growing and the areas where you still need to grow. Let's celebrate the work of the Spirit within you and repent in the places where we're falling short. It's a progress report. He still does that. If you haven't experienced that yet, you will. There are other tests that are just the, it's just the result of living in a fallen world when we get squeezed. And you see those in the Old Testament as well. Through Moses, God says, there'll be false prophets and they're going to be able to work miracles. And I want to know, are you get, just because they can work a miracle, if they try to get you to follow other gods, are you going to do it? Are you going to chase the shiny thing, the new thing, the slick thing? Or are you going to stay faithful That's still a test for us in the world that we live in where we're bombarded with messages. Everybody wants a piece of you. It can be difficult in those moments, especially when whatever it is seems to work. Are you going to stay faithful to him? How deep do your roots go? In Judges, it's a result of the sin of the people. They didn't cleanse the land. There were still remnants of the nations in the promised land and God said I'm going to leave them there to test you are you going to follow the gods of the nations and your neighbors or are you going to follow me again that's a temptation for us we live even though we're in the bible belt there are competing gods in our community most of them don't have statues and temples but they're here are we going to follow the gods of our neighbors and our nation are we going to follow the Jesus what are we going to do It's a test. How deep do our roots go? Psalm 26, David explicitly says, test me and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. It's a bold thing to say, isn't it? Put me in the fire. Refine me. I want to know. The good news, it's the Holy Spirit who's working within us. He is conforming you into the image of Jesus. That's what he's doing right now. If you are following Jesus then the Father, through the Spirit, is making you more like the Son. The pro- it's called sanctification. That's the theological word. And he's always doing that. He's never not. So if you're following Jesus, you can take it to the bank that you are being conformed into the image of, uh, of him. That's, that's what the Father is doing. It's Philippians 2. He's the one who's working in us. He started this work. And he's going to finish this work as well. And that's where the testing comes in. He's already begun, and the test lets us see the progress. That, again, can sound a bit intimidating, but if there's a way to embrace the testing, you're going to experience it anyway. So is there a way to embrace it and say, God, show me? None of us are perfect. None of us are there. We're not going to get there until we die or Jesus returns. There's always room for growth. So there's no, there's no shame in acknowledging there's still impurities. 
There's still places where I'm immature. There's places where I'm broken. There's places where sin continues to have its way. There's places where my flesh has a grip and drives me. Rather than put my head in the sand, show me. He's not gonna show you everything all at once. It'd be overwhelming, show me. In this place where the heat has been turned up, either because you've turned it up or because I live in this fallen world and that some circumstance has turned it up. Let me see. Let me see the, the, uh, the, assure, the, the, the quality and the genuineness of my faith so I know how to continue to cooperate with you. Amen. All right, we're gonna pray. If you're helping with ministry team, you can come up front. Chad, you can come on back. This is, we'll pray with you about anything. Anything you got going on, we'll pray with you. A couple of things. One, if you want to, and this is big boy, if you want to pray Psalm 26, God test me and try me, you can come and you can kneel here and just between you and the Lord, you can say that. And it's, it's not, you're not challenging God. That's not it. You're not like, it's not, it's, it's just more of an acknowledgement to say, hey, I, I want to know. I want to know. And, and, and he'll, he'll show you. And it may come through a test. It may be a, a, diff, it may be a difficulty. It may be something you're already experiencing. He's just going to give you eyes to see. But it's just this, there's a sense in which, it, as bold as that prayer is, it's a prayer of submission. God, I want to submit to you fully, and I want to see what you see when you look at me. And so you can come and you can deal with the Lord and that here by yourself. And if you're experiencing, if you're being squeezed, if you feel like the heat's being turned up in your life, we would love to pray that you would commit yourself to him and continue to do good. And that can be wearying. And that can be difficult to continue to do that. And we want to stand with you and pray that God would strengthen you and encourage you that you would know what it is for him to preserve you through that testing. And I want you to compare your heat or your squeezing to somebody else's. Well, this isn't really that big a deal. If it's a big deal to you, then it's a big deal. If it's heat to you, then it's heat. And we want to pray that God would give you grace to remain faithful again and to, and to see what he's doing through that. So everybody can stand if you would. I'm going to say a prayer briefly. Chad will lead us back into worship. You come forward and he'll dismiss us in a few minutes. God, I want to pray for those who, you're, who are being squeezed right now, who the, the heat's being turned up. They're being refined, and we pray that you be gracious and merciful to them. We pray they would see themselves the way you do, neither too highly or too lowly, but true humility, seeing themselves rightly as you do. I pray they be encouraged by the work that you're doing. They're not worms. They're sons and daughters. And there would be a sense of celebrating the, the growth as well as acknowledging the places where we haven't quite made it yet. And God, I pray for those who would say, God, test me and try me. I wanna know. Give me the mid-year review. Would you reveal to us the places in our own hearts where we need your refining, where we need your sanctifying work? So Holy Spirit, would you come and work, speak, move, give us grace to be submitted and committed to you and to your process. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 